Well, hello, family. Let me just start by saying this. Jesus loves you. If you ignore everything I say today, I hope you heard that. Grab your Bibles, open them up. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, two new characters enter the story uh, today, uh, a pair of brothers, actually. Cain and his younger brother Abel. And just something that I found interesting. I mean, I'm learning every time I read the Bible, too, just like you guys are learning. But one thing I found really interesting as I was studying this passage about Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel, they come up by name a lot in the Bible. Did you know that? They are mentioned explicitly a bunch by Jesus, the apostles, uh, all through the Bible, and also implicitly. Um, so these two guys, these two brothers, are clearly paradigms uh, that we are to learn from about how to live life. Okay. Uh, with that said, please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a, sheeper, a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of his firstborn flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain, and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? And if you do not do well, um, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire to, is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against him and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And you have, and now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in a land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, you gave a sermon one time uh, about your blood, and a lot of your followers left you and never followed you again after that. 
and you looked at Peter and you said, Peter, do you, are you not also going to leave me? And Peter said, to whom would we go? You alone have the words of life. Lord, we thank you for your word. And you promise that everyone who hears your word and eats it, ingests it by faith, lives every time they hear your word and ingest it. Jesus, I want to ask that today you would feed your lambs. It's in the sacred name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Amen. Everybody knows Albert Einstein for his intellectual genius, right? But did you know that when Albert Einstein moved to the United States, he was under FBI surveillance for 22 years? I didn't. That's astounding. For over two decades of his life, our government was spending time, money, and resources investigating tips that he was actually a Soviet spy and he was building a death ray. His final FBI file came up empty uh, as far as evidence was concerned, but it weighed in at a mere uh, 1,800 pages. That's a lot of information to gather on one individual. in 1952, the Israeli government offered him an uh, entry-level uh, position in their government, President of Israel. <laughs> they wanted him to be their president. He politely declined, saying, quote, he lacked the natural aptitude uh, f- uh, to deal properly with people. That's a quote. So Einstein, he lived an exceptional life. You know, no one's ever, I mean, no one's offered me the job of president of the country. He he had an exceptional life. He was a brilliant physicist, of course, but he also reminded the rest of us that he was human. At the end of the day, he was just human. For all of his genius, for all of his insight, for all of his unique experiences, his body was just as susceptible to pain, to weaknesses, and, you know, death, like all humans. Albert died in April 1955 from an aneurysm. An aneurysm. Uh, an aneurysm, as we know, is an abnormal bulge in the wall of a blood vessel due to the thinning of that wall in a particular location. If an aneurysm ruptures, it causes internal bleeding. And the statistics, at least the most recent ones that I researched the last week, they say that 50%, 50% of all ruptured aneurysms end in death for the victim. That's like a coin toss chance, right? Albert Einstein was exceptional in his life, and yet pretty run-of-the-mill in how he died. Isn't that interesting? In fact... About 30,000 people in the United States alone suffer a brain aneurysm every year. Did you know that? That comes to about one rupture every 18 minutes. That means that'll be two by the time I'm done speaking today, at least. 
And so it doesn't matter how extraordinary your life is. It doesn't matter how high your IQ is or if you graduated with honors. Uh, th- these, these individuals have absolutely no warning signs that they're in danger. They have no clue to warn them that danger is quietly crouching right inside of them, sometimes for years and years and years, and they never know it. Genesis 4 shares a a very similar message with you and I today. Genesis 4, the Scriptures let us know that each and every one of us is walking around life doing our daily life with this uh, unruptured aneurysm that resides deep in our heart. And I don't mean our literal heart. I mean like the core of our being, being, the command center of our life. This spiritual aneurysm, it's not caused by a weakness in our blood vessels, but rather by a weakness that is present in our heart from the moment that we're born. Sin that has been passed down from Adam to Cain and then now dwells inside of us. It's weakened us to the things of God. It has weakened us to the, to the righteousness of God and the love of God. It's thinned out the walls, so to speak, of every one of us. Look, we can have a brilliant education. We can have a very successful and decorated uh, career. We can even have a very good and moral, even Christian upbringing from mom and dad. But none of those external things do anything to protect us from the destructive power of sin, any more than being Albert Einstein protects you from an aneurysm. Genesis 4 warns us that our biggest, greatest danger is that we are vulnerable to the destructive power of sin. We are vulnerable to the destructive power of sin, each and every one of us. And so that's what I want to unpack today, kind of give a couple of reasons why this is so, and then talk about what God's done about this. First of all, sin wants to consume us like a wild beast wants to consume us, eat us like a wild beast. It's right here in the text, verses 7 through 9, if you'll look with me again. God says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's not down the block. It's not out of state. It's crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. We don't know how much time passed, but apparently some time passed. Cain spoke to Abel's brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? There's a lot here. God sees something inside of Abel that we cannot see. Something uh, that uh, inside of him that he counts as righteousness. And God sees something inside of Cain that we, the readers, we cannot see. God sees something inside of him that he counts as unrighteousness, right? 
So God graciously warns Cain that sin resides inside of him and something must be done about it. He can't just let this go. He can't just ignore it and leave it alone. Something has to be done about it, and he brings this to Cain's attention before it's too late. And God describes this indwelling uh, power of sin in terms of a ravenous and wild beast. It's not a tame thing, okay? Sin is like a mighty lion crouching just outside the door of Cain's own house. That's how God describes that. It's really near you. And sin has this one singular desire. It's the only thing on its mind from the moment it gets up to the moment it goes to bed, if I could personify it. He says it wants to completely consume him until he no longer exists. He is no more. Sin is contrary to Cain, God says. That meaning that it is dead set against him. Okay? It is an enemy. It's not an ally. And sin is, uh, sin is not playing a game. This is a hunt. Cain must hear God's warning and he must do something about the sin that lives inside of him because he doesn't have an indefinite amount of time. It's right outside his door. And that's exactly, by the way, what, what uh, we find out that sin does to Cain. It consumes him. It consumes him by mastering him. I mean, Genesis is just, I personally think it's one of the most, is the most beautiful written book of the Bible in and of itself. The way that these stories read. He is consumed by being mastered by the time you get to the end of this particular story. It's amazing if you follow the flow of it. Instead of responding to God's warning, or, or even at a minimum, like asking God for help after hearing that warning, Cain ignores the warning. And then he later casually murders his little brother out in the field. Like the violence is told so briefly and so matter-of-factly. Did you notice that? There's not a lot of detail. Which matches the callousness of Cain's heart toward his brother and toward his maker. Just something he did. Just went out in the field and murdered his brother. Which I think indicates kind of how he felt about it, the way it's recorded. You see, Cain is sinful, uh, sinful like his father. But God comes and he confronts Cain with this question, just like he did with his father. Why? Not because God didn't know where Abel was, but to what? To draw him out, right? To draw him into conversation and maybe draw him to repentance, much like he did Adam. But instead of confessing, Cain tells a flat-out lie. I do not know where he is. Yes, you do. He's right where you left him. He's right where you left him. Right? And then he arrogantly begins to cross and examine God with his own question. Why are you asking me? Am I supposed to be looking out for him? And the answer is yes. <laughs> so Cain, we see, is sinful just like his father Adam, but yet he's, he's more brazen, though. This thing has grown. Do you understand? There's not a hint of remorse in all the things that Cain says, and he says a lot in this passage. There's not a hint of remorse. There's no, not a hint of awareness of who he's even, whom he's even speaking to. I mean, he talks to God like he's talking to his brother. That neat. That's pretty casual. Uh, no tears for his own brother. He's not upset by it. Amazingly, Cain does not believe he did anything wrong. Did you notice that when we read this? 
He doesn't believe he did anything wrong. And by the end of this entire exchange, he has become completely isolated from everybody else in the world. Sin has totally has consumed him. And here's the kicker. He's not even aware of it. He doesn't even know it. Just a few years ago, in 2018, church member Marco Antonio Moreno was arrested for killing one and stabbing three others during church a church service in their pastor's own home in Corpus Christi, Texas. Moreno, just I just want you to understand what that means. Moreno literally murdered a fellow Christian right in the middle of a worship service. Okay? This isn't thousands of years ago. This is 2018 in a modern, civilized world. Okay? Whilst the sacrifice of praise to God was on Moreno's lips, murder was living in his heart. Brothers and sisters, please, 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 please hear what God is saying today in God's own words. Not my words, God's words, okay? Sin is crouching at your door. Your door. Yes, yours. Please don't think otherwise. Much like living with an aneurysm and thinking that we are completely healthy because everything on the outside, everything on the externals indicates that we're healthy, sin dwells in deep, deep places within us from the very beginning of our life. And listen, it just takes the right situation to trigger it into action. Somebody says something, they use a word, I just set you off. And pop, pop, goes the aneurysm. You find yourself in a particular situation and nobody's around, the boss isn't around, the kids aren't around, and you think no one's going to know, and what does it hurt? Pop. You suddenly find yourself in trouble. You find yourself dealing with a disappointment after disappointment, and finally you've just had one disappointment, just too many with some people. Pop. I can't take another disappointment. And you find yourself in the grip of evil thoughts, like really dark evil thoughts, doing evil actions, justifying our behavior. And bad choices lead to more bad choices to cover it up. And before you know it, you're completely hemorrhaging on the inside. Sin is a wild beast crouching at your door. And it desires to have you. See, here's the thing. The reason that Cain was not accepted by God and that Abel was is because Abel's actions were righteous and Cain's actions were unrighteous. That's what the Bible tells us later in the story, okay? Now, what made Abel's behavior righteous in God's way of reckoning? Well, it had nothing to do with the type of sacrifice that he brought. Both an animal and a plant sacrifice are completely acceptable if you read the law of God, 
He loves them both. So it wasn't the type of sacrifice that he brought, and it wasn't the type of occupation or vocation that he worked in. Both of those are really good, honest ways to work. So it's not those two things. So what is it? Well, the answer is it was Abel's heart towards God as he made that offering, as he worshiped the Lord. Now, where do we get that? I'm glad you asked. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, all right, verse 4. Listen, it says this, by faith, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was committed as righteous. How did God account what he did as righteousness? By his faith which sounds a lot like Abraham and everybody else in the Old Testament. We are saved from beginning to end always by faith and not our works. This is the gospel in the Old Testament, okay? By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him. How? How do we know that he was real? By accepting that sacrifice, I will accept that and not reject that. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel still speaks today. That's what that verse says. Abel is still speaking today. Isn't that creepy? That's actually really important. You see, from the external, it looked like they were both worshiping God as God. They were both going through the actions and the motions, and this looks like an acceptable sacrifice and worship. Okay, they were doing that on the external. They both brought a worthy uh, sacrifice. They both were working respectable occupations that God had given them, right? But in actuality, see, because God sees things we can't see, okay? But in actuality, Abel came to God in faith. And that was credited to him as righteousness. And Cain, he came to God too. He came in unbelief. That's not the same as doubting, by the way. Unbelief is something different. In his heart of hearts, Cain resented God being God. That's what unbelief is. It's something specific. Like his own father, Adam, Cain wanted to be God over his life, but even more brazenly so, and with blasphemy. What he did, Jude tells us this. What he did here, he, he did in a way that blasphemed God. It was like sarcastic or something. He didn't want to be ruled by God. He didn't really want to worship God. And so despite the warning that God graciously gives him, because he can see his heart, Cain tries to make his own way in the world. The book of Jude calls this the way of Cain, by the way, and said he was a blasphemer. So he did something here in this act of worship that was, in God's eyes, was blaspheming or sacrilegious. See, the sin under all the other sins that we commit is the sin of unbelief in God. That's not doubting God or I have questions. Or that, that's not it, okay? That, unbelief is what's under all of our acts of greed, our acts of stealing, affairs, vandalism, gossip, and murder. Unbelief is saying in our hearts, I don't want God. I don't want God to be God in my life. He can be my lucky rabbit's foot, but he cannot be my God. I don't believe in him like that. I don't believe that he's good, and I'm not, I don't trust him in this very moment right now. In this scenario, I don't trust him. That's unbelief. 
That is the wild beast that lies in each of our hearts, okay? I'm trying to show you, like, this is something really specific. It's not like general and nebulous, okay? And so please, please, do not look at this story as some archaic story and look at Cain and go, what a bad guy. Thankfully, I could never murder anyone. I could never bring myself to do that. I'm just not made that way. I'm too, don't do that. Yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. Given the right situation, given the right trigger, being under the right amount of pressure month after month, year after year, yes, you can. And maybe not with your hands, but with your heart and words. We're not of a different species than Cain, brothers and sisters. We're not of some different species. We're human just like him. The second reason this is important is that sin brings judgment of God upon us. This is what makes it so dangerous. Okay? It brings the judgment of God upon us. God punishes sin in sinners, not just like a concept. It's right here in the text here, verse 10. Verse 10 through 12. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And so we've seen in our story so far that God has cursed uh, the snake, and then later God cursed the ground. But this is the first time in the story that God has ever cursed a person. And so we need to take, we need to take note of that. God cursed a person. Cain, if you remember, he's a farmer like his dad, right? He was the, the tiller of the ground is literally what it says. He was a, he was a tiller of the ground just like his father, but, but now he's cursed from the ground away from it. And so that means that the work that he once did with difficulty will now be totally cut off for him because he misused the ground to hide his brother's violated body. So this is a big deal if all you know how to do to live is to be a farmer and you can't be a farmer anymore. That's a big problem for life. Instead of being a farmer, he's going to have to find a new occupation. He's going to have to find a new line of work to do and learn how to do it. That's what this is saying. And he's going to live as a wanderer since the ground is shut up from him and he's been sent away from the presence of God. So wherever he goes, God's not going to go with him. Okay? Now, it's natural for us to hear all this and it's, it's think, you know what? Yikes, God, that's a little severe. I mean, aren't you being a little harsh on Cain? I thought God is love. I thought God is love. Um, and so I just want to like point out two things because I feel that too. Okay, I relate. First of all, yes, God is love. He didn't have love. God himself is the very definition of love. He is love. And it is this fact that demands that God also be just. It's the other side of the same coin. Cain has murdered his little brother, let's not forget, okay, whom he was supposed to be taking care of. 
older brother is supposed to look out for the younger brother. And the one was supposed to be, he was, again, this goes back to power, love and power, right? He missed, he abused his power. He was stronger. God judges Cain's sin because he loves Abel. He loves that guy. And so to ignore what happened or to give Cain a pass on this injustice would not be loving at all to Abel, would it? Remember, Abel worshiped God in faith, right? He brought the sacrifice in faith. Like, I'm trusting you, God. I believe in you. You are my life and you take care of me, right? He came in faith. So for, so for God to not judge sin, to not call it by its right name, would make a mockery out of Abel. It would put Abel to shame, his faith to shame, right? Secondly, uh, you just let's, let's look at Cain's response to what God says to him, okay? He's so arrogant and self-absorbed by this point in the story. When confronted, he lies to God, and then he pivots and turns around and cross-examines God as if God is on trial when he's the one who committed the crime. The fact that God did not just like drop him and kill him on the spot was really loving, that was really kind of God to do and merciful. But then when the judgment is actually handed down, Cain has the audacity to protest the sentence. He says, this, is, this punishment is too great for me to bear. That's his response. That's his response. This is too great for me to bear, God. Unfair punishment. Not, I deserve everything I get and more. Not, oh, I am so sorry, God, for blaspheming you with my fake worship. Nothing about how his actions impacted his brother, who couldn't even be there for this trial because he he's not alive anymore, right? His response, Cain's response is, this punishment is too harsh on me. And he gives a reason. What's his reasoning? That someone might murder him. That's his biggest fear, guys. His biggest fear at this moment in his life is that someone might wrong him in the exact same way that he wronged his little brother Abel. That's Listen, this is a picture. This is a paradigm of a person whose heart has been devoured and mastered by sin and deception. And we can all get there. But here's what it says about God's judgment in Hebrews. We'll go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. It says, for we know him who said these words, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge who? His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing to stand before God in our sin. Not because, I want to be real clear about this, not because God is some unhinged vigilante who's driven by like uncontrollable emotions. He just like can't control himself. That's not why it's a fearful thing. Because God, that's not God. That's Cain, actually. If we're going to be honest, that's Cain, right? And that's me. And that's you. We're that way, but God's not that way. It's fearful to stand before the living God in our sin because God is completely fair and he is moved only by the facts. He's moved by the facts. 
And that's why it's a a fearful thing. God must give you and me what our sins deserve. And since we're all facing a time where we will have to give an explanation for every sin that we did in our physical body, because that's the receipt. That's the receipts God's got. He's not making stuff up. We're going to all have to give an account for the sins we did in our own physical body. And since our defense is about as pathetic as Cain's defense, hey, I'll take the punishment, but it's a little too harsh. You know, caught me on a bad day. My question is, what do we need to escape God's judgment? What do we need? We need someone's blood that won't condemn us. That's what we need. We need someone's blood that won't condemn us. We need someone that when the blood comes in and the DNA comes in, it says not guilty. Here, look at two things real quick that God declares, okay? Chapter 4, verse 10. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And so in order for God to be a just and righteous God, he must punish all sin. He can't wink at it or let it go on. I want you to notice, Abel doesn't speak one single word throughout this entire story. He never speaks his whole life. Did you notice that? He is voiceless, as are all victims. It's the first thing that is taken from a victim, their voice. No, 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 I'm not listening to your voice. He's a voiceless, like all victims are, but his blood speaks. His blood's always speaking, and it's just talking up a storm. Isn't that interesting? And what does the blood of Abel say to God? It says, I put my faith in you, God, and I'm dead now. I trusted you, God. I was righteous, and yet I was treated wrongly. I did not deserve to be murdered. Give me justice. Don't let this go unpunished from righteous. I am righteous. Abel's blood soaked in the ground condemns his brother Cain. His blood cries for justice, and God here in this verse says that he hears it. He hears it loud and clear, and he will not ignore what he's hearing. And yet, and yet, God shows the murderer mercy. In the, ver- in the final verse, did you catch it? Did you see it? This is the good news. Verse 15, Then the Lord said to him, to Cain, Not so! If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. Like total perfect complete. That's what seven is. Total vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. That's what he did for the murderer that should be in jail, that should be in the hot seat. He puts a mark to protect him on him. Isn't that incredible? Cain is denied the presence of God, but not his protection. And though he is severely punished, his life is spared. He's shown mercy. How 
can God do this? That's the question you should be asking. How can God do this and be a good, right God? This is the problem of the whole Bible. How can be God loving and God be just at the same time? How can he be full of love and full of power at the same time? How can God show mercy to sinners but yet not be accused of injustice by all the innocent people that have died and been trampled on into the ground? How can God protect Cain from his full wrath but yet not be found guilty of ignoring the innocent and righteous blood of Abel at the very same time? God's put himself on the horns of a dilemma here by showing grace to a murderer. And here's the answer. How can he do this? Because there is a true and better Abel that is coming. There is a true and better Abel coming, one from Abel's line who is perfectly righteous and perfectly innocent and perfectly trusts God his whole life. Let's go back to Hebrews again, chapter 12. I told you they're spoken of a lot in the Bible here, Cain and Abel. He says, for you have come to Jesus. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and and you've come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. When you come to Jesus, you come to sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel because that blood is still speaking. And that blood is still speaking. Do you get it? You get it? Abel brought a sacrifice of a lamb from his flock in faith to God, right? And God what? He accepted it. He accepted that sacrificial lamb. Jesus brought a sacrifice too, but he was the sacrifice. He was the lamb. He laid himself on that altar. Jesus took the punishment and the condemnation of God upon himself that our sins deserved. Though he was innocent and righteous, Jesus bled and died as a sacrifice that, so that we would be saved from the penalty of sin. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ for all who believe. While Jesus' blood was soaking into the wood of the cross, he did not say, Father, avenge my blood. Avenge them for what they're doing to my body. That's not what he said. Though he had every right to do that, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Acquit them. Wash them clean, whiter than snow. Our sins, they cry out for our condemnation. But Christ's blood cries out for our acquittal. Not guilty. Not guilty. His blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? In Christ, God simultaneously punishes sin to the fullest extent of the law, and at the very same time, he shows the full extent of mercy to sinners who trust in him. They say that I cannot atone for these things that I thought, said, and done, or even left undone that I should have done. This is our only defense when God confronts us with the wickedness that lurks inside each of our heart. It's the blood. We agree with God about our sin. 
and we plead the innocent, righteous, sufficient blood of Jesus by faith. It's the blood. I love you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, thank you for the blood. It's, it's something that just seems so offensive to us now, but Lord, we know it's not. When anyone sins and wrongs us, that's what we want. We are out for blood. Whether it's in person or on Facebook. And so why do we think that it's offensive for you to, to talk that way and think that way, but it's okay for us, Lord. We thank you for the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His blood cleanses us whiter than snow of all of our sins, and it is our only defense. We have no defense but his. And so, God, I pray right now that you would prick our conscience where we do need to confess our sins instead of trying to justify it or saying what about or that punishment's too big, too great that we just would agree and we would just stand under your blood of Jesus and say he's paid it all. As it was read earlier, where sin abounds, grace abounded even more. And so Lord, let us walk towards you and towards your grace with outstretched empty hands and you will fill them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.